listener exclusive. Hello and welcome to Two Guys, One Cup Summer Edition. I'm Charlie Clawson and this is my club where I sit down with some famous Australian supporters and talk to them about the clubs that they love and sometimes hate. And uh, this week's guest is Liam Flanagan. Uh, Liam, I did your show a couple of years ago. Oh, was it last year? Uh, where we talked a little bit about the Saints, about my expectations for the Saints. And uh, suffice to say, I was a little starry-eyed <laughs> considering what happened in the season. So allow me to return the favour. You are a Port Adelaide supporter. And they're an intriguing club because last year just – couldn't get going. Like, in, in fact, Port Adelaide season last year was a bit like us trying to get this call going. <laughs> Just a stop-start <laughs> affair for the first few minutes. Well, you didn't win the first five games. I think that's right. You sort of just got off to a real slow start, lost the first showdown, which is just like awful, just an awful way to start the year. And then just... What, what broke my heart about that, Charlie, to stop you for a moment, is that I, because I used to live in Sydney, I now live in, in Queensland from Adelaide. I lived in Sydney. I watched Jordan Dawson emerge from nowhere with the Sydney Swans. He was this beautifully, highly skilled left footer. And and basically no one outside of Sydney knew who he was. And Jude Bolton said, this guy is the best kick at the Sydney Swans. And then when the Crows picked him up, again, none of my Crow supporter mates really cared about him. And then he does that to us in the showdown. It was absolutely heartbreaking. It killed So tell me about like the showdown. What does it mean to be like a, a crow supporter reports, but like how much weight do you put into this showdown? Because being from a American Victorian club, we don't have an equivalent, maybe Anzac Day or something like that, but you've got to be a Pies or a, or a, or a Bombers supporter. Like what does it mean to, to win a showdown or lose a showdown? The great thing about Adelaide as a city, and I love Adelaide, but the great thing about Adelaide City from a size perspective is it's just the right size for the whole town to get swept up in, in any kind of event. Like you look at the tour down under that's just been on the cycling race. Most people from Adelaide don't care about cycling, but the event captures the city. And it's same when the Fringe Festival's on, it's same when the Comedy Festival's on. The, the, the city is the perfect size for everybody to care about an event. And when it's a footy game, it's it's on steroids. And I I remember, I think it was Damien Barrett, who I think is a fantastic journalist, but I think this was one of the dumbest ideas I'd ever heard him suggest. I think it was him, and I apologise if it wasn't you, Purple. The idea of taking the show down to Melbourne and putting it on at the MCG because it was such a great spectacle. And I think it is the best rivalry in the AFL. But that has got to be the most idiotic idea mm. ever. Like... NRL, State of Origin, they take it into state because they're trying to grow the game in non-rugby league markets. Melbourne doesn't need a big game of footy. Melbourne doesn't need another big game of footy. Just let us let Adelaide have the showdown. It is, you know, twice a year it is the heartbeat of the footy season. Well, let me ask you, so what do you think about the, the, the round they're doing this year where all the games are going to be in Adelaide? Do you think that is going to be a success? Gather round. 
that's going to be magnificent. What a name, by the way. <laughs> <That was laughs> I couldn't remember my- it. Thank you for reminding me. That was one of my favourite politics meets sports press conferences last year when South Australian Peter Malinowski is the Premier and Gil McLaughlin were there announcing it mm. and they hadn't figured out what they were going to call it. <laughs> and <laughs> Peter kept referring to it as Magic Round and then looking at Gil like, because, oh, but no, that's what the NRL calls their um, thing. Um, we'll figure it out. And he said it about three times during this press conference and the awkwardness that they just had not worked out what they were going to call this thing. And Gil just with this, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed because <laughs> this is really cocking it up for us. But Gather Round is a great concept. I don't know if you've seen the fixture. Stinker of a fixture. Right. It's a it's just on paper, they're bad, they're not great games on paper. Now, we might get to gather around and those games might be really exciting and I hope they are. Mm. Um, I'm concerned about the small venues that some – I think one of the games is being played at um, Nord Oval on the parade in, in Nord, which is a great suburban ground, but it's a postage stamp. Like there's right. going to be there's going to be some players who can who can kick the length of the field. It's well, so it's the SCG, in other words, just without the grandstand. It, it makes the SCG look like the MCG. It is a very, very small oval. Um, but I think they're taking a game to the Barossa as well. Look, I, I think it will be a raging success. I, I do. I work out of Brisbane now, and Magic Round for the NRL up here is is crazy. It's it's a fantastic. Um, it's the greatest thing the NRL has on their calendar in the regular NRL season. That's not mm. State of Origin. So Gather Round will be it's great. funny. When I uh, spoke to you last year to promote Two Guys, One Cup, and we had a bit of a chat off air about Port Adelaide, I'd mentioned that I'd done a series of my club the year earlier and had spoken to Ben Baker, who's a mad Port Adelaide supporter, photographer. He does all the portraits, does a lot of the, the photographs of the club. And he, like, it was a lighthearted chat, but I had not sort of understood the depth of seriousness that Port Adelaide supporters put into the history of the club, we exist to win premierships. Like it really, because I'm, again, ignorant Victorian and just only know Port Adelaide as the Port Adelaide power and don't know the history of the sand floor or anything like that. But, you know, the real kind of onus you put on it and like the uh, the path towards the flag in 2004 and, you know, what's happened since and why it was so kind of this, you know, eight years in the wilderness of mediocrity was so unacceptable for Port Adelaide supporters. Is that how you feel? Like, do you have, do you have a similar kind of serious attitude towards we are in the business of winning flags? No, because okay. <laughs> and it strikes me that Ben is probably a, a Port Adelaide in the SNFL supporter as well. So he was probably grew up supporting the Magpies in the sample. I didn't. Um, I was a convert. And firstly, is there a more aggressive motto in in world sport? <laughs> Just the way it's worded. It's right, we right exist. To win premiership. That's never said with a smile. That's not, that is a deadpan, we exist to win premierships. Um, No, I was a convert. So I grew up not really supporting the Crows. Um, They came in in 1990, the Crows. Sorry, should I just say that St Kilda's motto is we exist to make up the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) And that is said with a smile. Uh, No, I, so I, I remember, and I actually, I wrote this story for, the Port Adelaide website a couple of years ago, I remember sitting in my grandparents' living room, the first showdown in 97, and I was sitting in the room and I was in year seven, so what am I, uh, how old are you when you're in year seven? 12, 13? Anyway, I was about that age and a smart ass and everyone around, uncles, aunties, cousins, grandparents, everyone was going for the crows. And I thought this will be funny if I start going for the other (laughs) (laughs) And I did. And the joke was on me for 
the first sort of seven years of existence, particularly when the Crows won those two premierships. But that is how I came to support Port Adelaide as a joke to start with. But then I bought in and, and you know, I got wrapped up in in those those players. And I don't take the, the history stuff. I think it's really interesting because you do have, when they came into the AFL, they wanted they they wanted to separate themselves from that history. They didn't want to just be a team that Port Adelaide SANFL supporters could then support, and so they really tried to distance themselves. Hence the power and the it was the new colours, and I know there was the Collingwood aspect to that as well. And then it feels like sort of maybe in the last ten years there's been this dramatic shift, which is no 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 we also want our heritage and our history acknowledged. And so they're kind of fighting all these agreements and instalments that they made when they came into the AFL uh, and they want their, their, the amount of premierships they've won acknowledged and, and all these aspects to it. And I know last year, I think it was a, a landmark year and, and Port only wanted to be referred to as Port Adelaide. They didn't want to be referred to as Port Power. They didn't want any of that. So it's kind of they're, they're fighting... They want to embrace their their old history, but they're also fighting their recent history in the AFL to an extent. So I'm not as attached to the the heritage stuff, but I do find I do find I think the the back and forth with Eddie Maguire and the black and white stripes and Collingwood to be one of the the most petty, silly things in in sport. It's fantastic. I love it. Like I love it when they bust out the Guernseys for like you know the song at the end of the game. So a lot of feedback we get from. Port Adelaide supporters, because we get the sense that when things were going bad, Ken Hinckley, you know, immediately comes under the gun and the biggest knock on Ken Hinckley is he's not port through and through. There is this sense that he is, he's a Victorian, which I have never understood any club saying that about players. I had Titus O'Reilly on once talking about the demons and he was saying, I never understood why, you know, so members were always like, oh, bring back Gary Lyon and bring, and he's like, let's bring in people who've actually won a flag who know how to win. Like, <laughs> I don't want club legends because they wore the jumper. Well, I can understand why a secure supporter would think that because, I mean, who do you bring yeah, back? Yeah, well, they have. I mean, that's what we've done is we've brought Cross Lyon, we've brought back Rob Harvey, Lenny Hayes. Like, to be honest, I don't mind that. Like, I've, I've called this the uh, 2023, the St Kilda Nostalgia Tour. <laughs> like, we're just bringing, just bringing back everyone who made us feel good. The last time we can remember feeling good about our club. Do you get that sense with Ken Hinckley that he has he will never be fully embraced unless he wins a flag or do you think that's a vocal minority? I've had this conversation with my dad. Uh, I, I take I, I consider myself a football pragmatist. Being a Port supporter, love Port, but I don't hate the Crows. I hate Crows supporters at times, but I don't hate the Crows as a club. And I, and I like, there aren't really any clubs I hate. I love football. Yeah. And I get that pragmatism from my father, who is a Crows supporter and has that same attitude, just likes good football. Yeah. And we've often talked about Ken Hinckley because I feel like he's been under the pump almost his entire coaching tenure. I've long thought he's been one of the best coaches in the AFL for the past decade. You know, along, hasn't won a comp, sure, but with Clarko and Dimmer, I think he's been one of the most consistently well-performed coaches. But I always, when everyone says, oh, you got to sack Hinkley, I say, okay, but who are you replacing him with? And I think clubs often pull the trigger and and don't know who they, I mean, Essendon, classic example. They had no idea who they wanted to replace Ben Rutten with. Well, sorry, they did have an idea. They wanted Alistair Clarkson, but so did mm. everybody. But they, these, when these clubs make these decisions to sack coaches, I don't have a problem with that as long as you know who you're bringing in. And when everyone says, let's get, it's time to get rid of Hinkley, why? Who, who's knocking down the door to be the next senior coach? Who, If they've got someone that is the obvious choice, do it. But I think 
Hinkley has been outstanding for, for Port in his tenure. And last year, like I think a lot of people forget just how many injuries you guys had. Like it was just a season where you could not get your best players onto the park. And, I mean, it's easy to sort of like, you know, knock teams that struggle throughout a year. But when you do, like I'm looking at St Kilda's preseason now and we have no forward line. Max King's out, Jack Hayes is out, Matty Allison who was out, who was training to replace both of them, he's just broken his foot, is out for 20 weeks. And it's like we'll be fielding the shortest forward line going around. So automatically it's like, well, you're up against it. And then people are like, well, once we can, if we can just hold on till Max King gets back, yeah, but he's coming back from a shoulder reconstruction. That generally takes another six months to rehab that. So when you look at Port's start to the year, it makes a lot of sense. And then they did get – also, you can you can thank St Kilda for giving you your mojo back. It was that freaking game in Cairns, that ridiculous game in Cairns. Well, I watched that and I just knew – I think we were five goals up in the first quarter. I'm like, we're losing. I just knew, had a smell about it. There's a certain gap. A, Port Adelaide, we are your bunnies. Oh, like yes. we just, we cannot beat Port. Like it's <laughs> impossible. I think we beat you once two years ago when Paddy Ryder kicked that goal, you know, to seal it. But that's the only time in recent memory I can remember beating Port. To what you're saying about last season, I yeah. for those that who are and for those that who are sitting here watching this, for the two guys one cup fans um, who are sitting here going, um, who is this guy? I, I work for Triple M and I call the footy, um, and I called round one last year for Port Brisbane at the Gabba. I was at that game as a Port supporter, remaining very neutral, and I just watched Dersma break his collarbone in that collision with Mitch Robinson, and I thought, oh, it's not great. And then I watched Trent McKenzie do his knee, and I thought, oh. And, I, and I saw, I'm like, this is cooked our season. And then we lost. I just thought, and we were winning, and we lost in the final quarter. I just thought, we're not, we're not making finals. This is, this, is, this is our season done. And they fought back and did whatever. But Dixon, we are still too reliant, and I, I, I hope it changes this year. I think Charlie Dixon, now <laughs> I'm going to be very careful. I'm not saying he's... Tony Lockett or Wayne Carey or Dunstall or Ablett. But he has that presence and he's a bit buddy-like in that when he leads out and demands the football, I imagine if you're Connor Rosie or Butters or whoever's running through the middle and Charlie's running at you demanding the football, it's hard not to kick it to him. And as a result, I think our forward line is a, has been a little bit chuckwagon reliant over the last however many years. But I in Todd Marshall and Mitch Georgiades, I, I really like the balance. It's just a matter of it's kind of I feel like, and Charlie's an intimidating guy, I feel like they'll just need to sit down at the start of the year and it's safe space. Charlie, we're not going to kick you the ball as much, okay? You are going to be something of a decoy at times. And if he gets on board I'm with all, that. I'm all about the decoy, decoy forward. I always say, like, you just need that one player. Like, you've got your kind of – your Rolls-Royce tucked away in the corner. You don't want him taking, like, collisions. You want – I always call it the Cozzy effect because when St Gilda had Justin Kaczynski in revolt, send Cozzy out to just get smashed up, bust open packs. It doesn't really matter if he doesn't, like, kick a goal or only kicks one goal a game because that means Rui is free to run around and he's, and Cozzy's taken an opponent with him or maybe he's throwing up his shield or whatever it is. And I completely get it. You've got Todd Marshall, G- George Artis who are coming along. If Charlie Dixon plays 16 games – you know, that's all you really need, where he just stands there and just intimidates and blocks and draws attention. And that allows those younger guys just to get through another season without getting bashed up. Because the worst thing, and you're seeing it with players like Max King, Ben King, they've still got that kind of gazelle 
frame. They haven't got quite enough muscle on them yet. And so if you're asking them just to do repeat efforts, crash into packs, like I always think of that uh, 12th man sketch with Bruce Reed coming into bowl and snapping in half. <laughs> there's just certain, you know, there's certain there's, body types. There's like, body types that are not like, I'm, as I said, I'm up in Southeast Queensland now. And the other morning I went down to um, the Suns were doing a thing. By the way, I heard last your last episode with Josh Garlett and making a bit mm. of fun at Matt Rowe. <laughs> And I know we're in the preseason uh, cliche territory here. Right. So he's, he's burning up the track. He's training the house down. He, he came thing. walking out of the water. They were doing a beach <laughs> session. He came walking out of the water in a pair of sluggos. He's carved from granite, Charlie. He is <laughs> the, the nick that Matt Rowell is in. He is Brownlow. Should be a Brownlow favourite based on how he looks in a pair of Speedos at the moment. Anyway, the point I wanted to make, though, you talk about body shape and body size. The King Brothers, perfect example Levi Casbolt is a man, right? And he is a, a man who's played a decade of AFL football with a decade of pre-seasons and, and work in the gym behind him. And, and Tom Hawkins is another example. These forwards that have done the, the years of training and build up this body that's capable of enduring this, this, this workload and the constant bashing and crashing, the King brothers aren't there yet. And that's what Georgiades and, and Marshall are. I think George Argy's is a little bit shorter and a bit more of a jumper, so I don't expect him to fill out like that. But Marshall still looks like he will break at times, and that's yeah. where Charlie <laughs> is so important because he will not break. He will break people, but he will not. You know, I think about watching Charlie Kerno the way he came back last year, and I always got the same feeling with him. I love watching Charlie Kerno play so athletic, the way he flies at the ball. But there is a sense every time he's like midair that you're like, oh, shit, how's he going <laughs> to land? Like those limbs are just flying everywhere, and especially with his knees. But then to sort of see the way he sort of bounced back, it's like, okay. You know, because you do get a worried when you see a young player get an injury like a knee or a shoulder that, well, you know, that can be career-ending for some players. But – like who would have thought that Charlie Kerno was going to come back in that kind of nick? He was terrifying. He was terrifying last year and he has that he's he's almost got and I don't know, I haven't done the research into Charlie Kerno's growth patterns, but he looks like somebody who got tall late because He's very, very coordinated. Can you look into someone's growth patterns? Is that a thing? <laughs> what, what data are you getting at Triple M? Champion data. They are they are well researched. <laughs> Yeah, mate, they're measuring kids in their sleep. It's, what? <laughs> McDonald's have come on board for the McDonald's growth spurt uh, data this year. <laughs> You'll see that on all the broadcasters. No, they, but yeah. he looks he looks very coordinated for his size. Getting back to, uh, we disappeared down how you break tall forwards in half there, but I, I, the, what the AFL has become now, and I think why I'm excited and bullish about Port, as everybody is excited and bullish about their teams at this time of year, why I'm excited and bullish about Port is I think you need one or two of those giants. Like you look at um, McKay and and Kerno at at the Blues. Um, I, they'll figure it out this year, which will be painful for everybody else in the AFL. They'll play finals, but um, I love the fact that we have Dixon, Marshall, and Georgiades as three key tall, big targets, genuine tall yeah. targets inside forward fifty. My concern around Port is still I think we're still one defender. We're still undersized down back, and that's why. Mackenzie going down last year, when I saw that happen, I was like, that, that kills us because Jonas, as brave as he is and is, is undersized really to be to up against the likes of Hawkins and, and Aaliyah is not a, a standing and, and body. He's a, he's a coming third man in and, and run off and intercept. So we're still that one key defender short for mine and that's where I'd love to see us 
just sturdy up the list a little bit. And what's the ceiling for Connor Rosie, do you think? Like, he's an exciting player. Like, last year, in a, in a season where there wasn't a lot to get excited about, it's just like, geez, this kid's good. And you sort of start, like, your mind starts going, where could he, like, he could, you know, be a Brownlee medalist. He seems to have all those attributes that, like, you know, a, a Brownlee medalist has. Isn't it, isn't it strange that we all know he's good at football, but then he does look special. Like there's a lot of good footballers running it's around. the X factor, yeah. And he's got it. Bailey Smith has it. He's, there's a lot of good footballers there, but he's got it. I was thinking about this on the drive up to work today, actually, because as good as Connor Rosie is, and you'll appreciate this as in, in your other life as a thespian, Joe, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about, because I am a Zach Butters man. I'm a Zach Butters man, and right. I think you're either a Rosie. It's, I thought it's like Dawson's Creek. You're either Dawson or you were Casey. <laughs> you, were do- you were. Not a, not a Jordan Dawson, <laughs> I hope we're talking about. Not a Jordan, Jordan Dawson's this Creek. Is, this is my <laughs> era, too. This was the show that was on. You're either Dawson or you're Pacey. Yeah. And I think Port supporters will either be Connor Rosie, who is Dawson, right? The, the creek's named after him, or. Zach Butters, the, the the scrappier of the two, the slightly less polished, you know, it gets Joey in the end, spoiler, but uh, the you're either, and I am Pacey, I'm Team Pacey, I'm Team Zach Butters. So I love Rosie and I think you're right, he's probably the most likely to win a, a Brownlow. But for mine, Zach Butters, just because he's that little bit undersized, he's that little bit less polished and I think that probably embodies Port as a club more so than the the polish of Rosie. I wonder if it's like a Hodge-Mitchell kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like Hodge was the clear standout talent with all the attributes, but Mitchell was just that kind of guy with the, the shorter and the work ethic, which often pushes people to go beyond the guys with all the natural talent. Has, has there been a player slower in a straight line who got tackled less than Sam Mitchell in the history of the AFL? Maybe Greg Williams? Oh, good. Greg yeah, Williams is pretty slow. I think that I think it, I often think those two are almost identical in sort of like persona and temperament and skill set. Like a little bit of the mongrel, you know. Not don't bit. seem like competitive beasts, <laughs> you know. But just like told their whole junior career, they were never going to make it. They were too fat. They were too slow. And then there's develop all these in these kind of tools. I still love Sam Mitchell for that. Uh, I can't remember the player. Um, I think he's at the D's now. I'm forgetting Hibbert. He gave the little uh, the little injection sledge. Oh. <laughs> I still thought that was one of the. <laughs> <laughs> because there's nothing Hibbert could say. He was like, uh, well, well, yeah. it's true. Yeah. <laughs> so Robbie Gray. Uh, farewelled him in style. Do you think that maybe he could have gone gone around one more year, or do you think it was, this is the right right year to exit him? I think he's he's done the he's done the right thing by him. I think the club could have nursed him through another season, yeah. uh, but I think he's done the right thing for him. I think he's the most talented player in the history of Port. I think the best one of the best clutch players. Of all time. In the history of the competition. And I've done think- it to us, like personally, <laughs> like at least three times, Robbie Gray. I mean, remember, was it three years ago, that tap from Ryder, you know, with like four seconds to go, breaks through Billings tackle, nails it from 50. It's like, that, that was what a player. A, just a joy, pure joy to watch. Uh, and I, I watched, I remember I was watching the game live where he kicked it after the siren from the boundary uh, against Carlton. And oh, that was. Yeah, he he has he has delivered so much joy to Port supporters over the years. I'm my disappointment was I thought he and and Trav Boak both needed to be there for the next premiership. I I thought that they needed those two needed to be a part of it if if this current crop was going to win one. Um, look, they're going to have to do it without him now. But I there's never 
there's no such thing as a good knee injury, but I think Robbie had one because when he got drafted and turned up, I remember having a conversation with somebody way back then in that he was coasting a little bit from what I understood and, and was not coasting but not pushing himself. And then he had the knee injury relatively early and then I think he figured out this doesn't last forever. And he applied himself and the VFL bias, if he'd played for a Victorian team, he would have been spoken about in the same vein as Dustin Martin and and uh, Dangerfield when he got to Geelong and Abla. He was just an absolutely star player and the one that I think opponents, if you'd ask them honestly, were the most terrified when he got the ball in his hands inside forward 50. Now, is it true that Ollie Wines has the widest head of any player in the AFL? Like it's pretty wide. In, in, of any Australian citizen? <laughs> It's, it's the, Was he in the Australia Day Honours? I didn't see that. His, his mum should have been. <laughs> they they went to birth, put a medal around him, but they couldn't get over it. That head, but it had to have been a C-section. And <laughs> that's got to have come out of the sunroof. Ollie is uh, look. He's a Brownlow medalist, and yeah. all those people say he didn't deserve it. I don't care. He won it. Um, he, but isn't he like? If you had to pick where he came from and what he did growing up. I, you'd say, yeah, you'd be from country Victoria and he probably grew up wakeboarding. Like, just mm. look at him. Like, everything about him is power and just you Thick. could you could picture him throwing hay bales over the yeah. shed as a, as a kid. Powerful. Um, <laughs> it's just powerful. He's That's so what he is. powerful. I, I, the one thing I wish hadn't happened to Ollie, I wish they'd never given him the captaincy. I don't like co-captaincies. I know the Kangaroos have just announced, what is it, Simpkin and McDonald. Mm. Why? Like, uh, it's unless – the only one that I ever saw work really well, I thought Phil Davis and Callum Ward would co-captains at the Giants together. And I – because I used to live in Sydney and so called a bit of the footy down there and I remember speaking to their media manager once who summed it up perfectly for me, for him, because he said for him it works, it works perfectly because Cal loves having a photo done, hates, <laughs> hates talking. Phil right. loves having a chat. Hates having a photo done. So he could just interchange the media requests. And, and Phil was a real, um, let me talk to you. And Cal was a, just follow me. So they had yeah, this yeah. beautiful balance, two, two powers combined, captaincy at the Giants. But I didn't like it when they gave it to Ollie Wines because I thought it was a bit of that, we're just going to give it to our best player, which again, yeah. I don't like when clubs do it. Because I think if you surveyed most footy fans and, and asked them to to name all the club captains, I reckon Tom Jonas is the one they most people would forget. I don't think my, most uh, non-Port fans know that Tom Jonas is our captain. And I like that because he's just this resolute down the back, does his job on the team sheet every week. Um, but he's not our best player. But he's an integral player. Held in high regard within the inner sanctum, I believe, is the. There's uh, <laughs> another cliche. There's the cliche that they use inside the four walls of the club. Very highly rated. I, it's interesting the, the captain thing because I, I kind of agree. Like it's not necessarily they did that with Jack Steele. Jack Steele made all Australian, and you know they they sort of partnered up with Jaron Geary for a year, and then he got the solo last year. And it was just he's very much a lead by example. He's not a super talkative guy, and then. I um I did the uh, best and fairest last year, and Cal Wilkie, who I think I came came third, he's a South Australian. He is like so charismatic, and he's a real talker, and you can sense like he has real authority with the players. He's only been at the club for like four years, and I think now that there's an idea among Saint supporters, it's like oh we love Jack, and you know, but 
if you want a guy who's like people are going to rally around and doesn't have a problem having hard conversations and is liked and held in high esteem, then that's probably the right guy. But no one would know who Cal Wilkie was outside of Moravian, so I think that's the issue. At least Jack Steele, people know who he is. He's been an All-Australian and he's good looking, which I think also helps sell some kind of memberships to some sectors. And you had that run of you went from you guys really sort of fade in. You're like Nick Rewalt, Jaron Geary, yeah. Jack Steele, and now you can't, you don't know if you can bring yourself to go back down to Cal- from a, from a, a known notoriety perspective, not from an, a quality perspective. But the captaincy one is just like imagine if Richmond had decided, well, Dustin Martin is our best player, therefore he should be our captain. Dustin Martin, I don't think. I mean, he's obviously got leadership qualities. Yeah. But I don't think he, you, you want him having to front up and do captaincy press conferences. Trent Cotchin was a perfect captain for them. It helped that he was an absolute star and Brownlow medalist technically, I guess. But I'm glad Port saw sense to come back to my club. I'm glad Port saw sense and said, we, you don't need, we don't need you to be captain. Like, Tom Jonas is a great captain, held within high regard within the playing group, speaks really well, does all the other extracurriculars really well. Ollie, just focus on getting that big head around the floor. Now, Liam, the way we rank uh, our preseason predictions is a bit uh, messy, um, but the two oh, guys won't up. <laughs> we like to do a top six, middle six, bottom six. So and you, you don't and have Will to commit. You can, you, your math falls apart when all of a sudden you've got eight teams left and you've, you've filled the top six. <laughs> exactly. So uh, in your honest opinion, where do you see Port finishing this year? Top six. Really? Oh, that's bold. Most people I've spoken to have been too gun-shy of, of jumping. Even like Broden Gelly was like, oh, I don't know, like typical Melbourne spotter, I don't know about the top six. <laughs> but that's um, – I see it too. You've added Brody Grundy and you're not prepared to back them into <laughs> the top six. Uh, I uh, I see it too. Like Port Adelaide, I think people forget as well what Port Adelaide did to the, the style of football that teams play. Like six, seven years ago, you know, they really sort of – the run and gun, you know, the numbers to the ball, like they – Ken Hinckley – changed the game and they got that run on and it's sort of been this kind of like people have been waiting for sort of Port to kind of reach the the heights of that first kind of year or first second year under Ken Hinckley. But I think injuries aside that Port Adelaide have, I mean, the other thing is they have a home ground advantage, which I always think, you know, you forget when you talk about the South Australian and Western Australian teams, it's like they get to play 11 games at home plus gather round, of course. So there's one more. Plus gather round. Plus gather round. It matters. No, I, I think the, the home ground advantage is real um, and uh, and all Crow supporters out there who listen to this will go, oh, what about when you pull the tarps out? Shut up. You did the Power Rangers dance. Um, <laughs> uh, th- those are like the, the two kind of unblockable bullets that we each yeah, have to yeah. fire at one another at Port V. Mutually assured you, destruction. You've got, yeah. yeah if you guys if you want to go nuclear, we'll go nuclear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because there's no comeback. We rolled out tarpaulins because no one was turning up to the games. That's the reality of where we were back when it was at Footy Park. Um, no, I think um, injuries aside, you can't. And and that's where your list management comes into it and depth matters. But I, the guy I think is so important is Scott Lysett. I think he is – I mean, you forget he's a premiership ruckman for the West Coast Eagles. But he is just I, – I think ruckmen are overpaid. Just every every single one is overpaid. So I don't. I don't think, know about your strategy about pissing off the biggest roughest guys in the AFL. Go on. Love them, yeah. love them. But I think I I think if you look back, like Sean Grigg is a premiership <laughs> ruckman, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Pike, a Canadian rugby union player, is a premiership <laughs> ruckman. 
I'm just saying it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, the reason oh. Scott Lysette is so brilliant and important, in my opinion, for Port is that he is no fancy stuff. He is just, he is hit bodies, move the ball forward. I'm not going to do, I'm not Paddy Ryder with a tap, from a tap perspective, but I'm going to halve the contest as a minimum. He's a big body. He crashes in. He causes, and he, he causes that, that spillage and stoppage so that likes of Rosie and Butters and Wines and, um, and, and Trab Boat can all run through. And Jeremy Finlayson surprisingly did a really serviceable job for a guy that, um, has got something of a history of not loving the physical side of the game, but I think he did a really nice job as as a backup last year. But having to rush roll Charlie Dixon through there, it takes him out of there, and all of a sudden it all falls apart. So Scott Lysette for mine is is really key to Port's chances this year, and if they, he can stay fit and they can get enough games out of him, so that they can keep Charlie at home and that they can use Jeremy Finlayson as a bit of a pinch hitter, but also use him off half back and and across half forward with his foot skills. That's the key for mine for Ports finishing in that in that top bracket. Well, you heard it here first, Liam Flanagan, guaranteeing that Port Adelaide will win the premiership in 2023. No doubt about <laughs> it. Uh, Liam, do you want to plug your podcast and wh- what games you're going to be calling this year? Where will people find you in 2023? Yeah, look, um, the scorecard, the scorecard, Australia's uh, number one daily sports news podcast. You can grab it on the listener app. It's uh, it's a fast fun hit of sport available every day. We got some new voices coming on board the. Uh, the podcast this year so that it's not me every day. So we've got Brett Thomas and um, Josh Marnie as well coming on board. So it's a great – it is a perfect way to to consume your sporting news if you don't want to listen to talkback radio. Um, then also Triple M footy. It's it's just – it is a fun way to listen to the football. Uh, great call team up here in Queensland with Brett Thomas, uh, Richard Champion and Simon Black. And, mate, Simon Black is as nice as you'd think. For a bloke who has achieved everything in the game, just one of the great human beings as well. I, a quick story before I go, Charlie. I appreciate you giving me a lot of time to talk about myself. Last year after a game at Metricon on the Gold Coast, I had a moment where I was like, I can't believe this is seriously happening. I was running around in the car park with our producer and our tech and there's Richard Champion and Simon Black just darting the footy around with us. Like we were just playing kick to kick in the car park and Simon Black's like, Hitting me up, spotting me. I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. <laughs> and then Blackie pinged his hamstring. Oh, did he really? <laughs> Fantastic. Ruining Brownlow medalists' hamstrings. All right, Liam, thanks so much for coming on. We are two guys, one car. Listener.